Welcome to the Innovate for Impact podcast. This podcast is for leaders in the social sector like you who want to make a difference. Each episode is packed with practical ideas on how you can be more innovative and create an even bigger social impact. We share our ideas on what you can do and also speak to leaders from the sector to share best practice. So let's get into it and let's talk impact. Hey, welcome to another episode of the Innovate for Impact podcast. My name's Dan Bentley. This is Tracy Newman. Welcome, Trace. Hi. Thanks, Dan. It's always good to be recording a podcast with you. Yes, always a pleasure. What is this now like? Almost episode 50. We're getting pretty close. That's pretty awesome. We're pretty excited to be almost reaching this milestone. So I think, yeah, maybe the next one that we record or the one after that will actually be our 50th episode. And we learned the other day that only 20% of podcasts, I think it is, actually make it past episode 50. Well, what are we going to talk about today? We're going to talk a little bit about co-design and what are the sort of top three objections people are getting when they're trying to get co-design projects or training or even just just trying to change the approach of an organization? What are they hearing from those people that maybe aren't as on board as you might be? So like we always say, we do a lot of work in this space and we've sort of heard that there's three objections that are coming up that are becoming like the sort of the top ones. And so we're going to share what they are with you today. And then we're going to talk about, well, what are some of the things that you can do to rebut those objections and attempt to, uh, you know, stand up this way of working in your organization. So pretty jam-packed episode, hopefully lots of helpful tips for all of you people out there that are trying to create a more collaborative and innovative organization. Yeah. All right. Shall we get into it? What is number one? What is, and these aren't in any order, by the way, this is just uh, number one of the three tips No, in no particular <laughs> order. What is it, Trace? Yes. Yeah, it's the the good old-fashioned, it takes too much time and money. You know, oh, look, we're absolutely on board with co-design. We think it's fantastic. We just don't have the resources right now is more commonly how how we would hear that phrased. But it's just the idea that co-designing takes too much time and it costs too much money. Yeah, so this one here can also be said as well when a project has already sort of been scoped or people have like a really tight deadline and they quite often might say, oh, look, we just, because of this particular project, we just don't have the time. Uh, We need to have this delivered by October 30th or whatever it might be. Not this time. The way I sort of see this playing out is a lot of the time is people are just really thinking about like the lead time and what they're needing to sort of spend upfront rather than the entire thing. So that can come out in a number of different ways. Yes, and that's exactly it. So what we what we more commonly find is that, yes, there's absolutely an investment of time and energy in setting up a co-design interaction to be successful. However, what we also find is that quite commonly it actually doesn't take more time over the entire course of that creation. It's just that there is some additional time up front, but then when you actually go right through the whole process, it tends to to even out. Whereas 
often when you're not co-designing and you're creating as a a group of experts in a room, um, sometimes it can be quicker at the beginning because you're not sort of setting it up for success. However, then when it actually comes time to implement, oftentimes when you haven't had the right people involved and you're not co-designing, it can actually take longer to, you know, have people see the benefits. It can take longer for people to understand what it is that you're you're trying to achieve. And it can take longer for people to actually take it up and you can spend more time and energy and even cost trying to, I guess, sell your solution once you've created it. Yeah. We've worked on a number of projects where we've been brought in quite late in a process and people have said, like, can you kind of help us test a prototype? And yeah, we've we've got a few stories. We've shared them on other episodes before where it's been that, you know, we've saved an organization like four or five or so resources, you know, 12 months of development plus all the costs associated with the development of that new system or whatever it might have been that they're going to build. And that just by spending that, you know, what, an extra couple of days working on 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 it at the start to make sure they got it right and they co-designed it rather than guessed and hoped that they were going to get the right outcome. If they had of, you know, guessed and hoped that their outcome was right, they're about to find out a year later that they just wasted a whole heap of resources and time doing it that way when it was not something that people wanted. So that's the benefit of it, like Tracy said. And there are ways as well, especially when you get the whole, oh, we already have a deadline of October 30 or whatever that might be, that there's ways that you don't need to do it perfect, but it's still better to engage than not to engage. That's the other one I'll chuck out there too. So if you do have somebody in your organization say to you, look, we just don't have time because of October 30 is coming up and that's the, the deadline to get this thing done because, you know, for whatever reason, saying to them, okay, well, if that is the date, what if we did this? Because I can fit all of this into those timeframes. That's another way you can get around that. And as with everything, you know, it's better to start small and, you know, maybe incorporate a couple of elements that you would include in a, in a full co-design project to allow people the opportunity to, to work with them and to see how, how it can really add value. And then as the organization becomes more comfortable and more familiar, then, you know, you would increase the types of people that you would include. You, you can expand that further. Um, but often it does really make sense to sort of start small and just start with a couple of elements or, you know, just start with a workshop and, you know, maybe don't include everybody that you would love to have involved but build it out from there. You know, and I think the other thing as well is that, you know, we've also found this being really helpful with having conversations around evidence-based approaches versus hoping and guessing and rank-based decision-making. I think that's another angle for you as well. If you are talking to people saying, okay, what would be the cost if we don't get this right? Like, can you tell that story or can you tell a story like I did before around times in your organization where you have built something out without evidence that that's the right approach and that it did cost your organization a lot? Is there a argument you could put forward from that perspective that might shift people's way of thinking to going, okay, well, maybe, you know, a couple of weeks of consultation and a couple of weeks of co-designing actually won't be anything close to what it would be if we were to spend six months building something and, and we don't get it right. Like, What are those costs? And can you show what that looks like versus the cost of co-design? 
you know, there's probably not many things that work out much cheaper than just doing a little bit of co-design at the start. Like it's not super expensive most of the time when you when you really think about what's required, but, you know, getting something wrong, launching a service, changing something in your organization can be quite costly, but some of those expenses are just sort of hidden in your day-to-day operational expenses. So pulling those out, making that case based off, let's get this right so that we don't end up costing ourselves X. Yes, absolutely. And then the second one, which is quite closely aligned to uh, the first objection, which is we think it's a great idea and we're going to get to it when we've got enough time. But right now we're too busy managing the day-to-day. We hear that a lot more around we know that, you know, perhaps this service isn't optimised or we know that, you know, we're not providing everything that we could for the people that we support. But we don't really have enough time to review that at the moment because we're we're really just too busy with everything that's on our plate currently. This one is big. It is slightly different to the first one, but like Tracy said, it is it is still related. It is about time. But this one here is about, oh, we're just going to put co-designing off. It's not that that particular project doesn't have enough time or they have this idea in their head that it's going to cost them more. It's usually that they are like, yeah, no, we're on, we're on board, but you know, right now we're just so slammed. We've got too many things to do in our business as usual. We need to focus on that, especially in aged care at the moment. And we and don't don't take it the wrong way. We totally get the challenges that that part of the sector is experiencing with being understaffed and still dealing with COVID impacts and all the change that you're juggling in that space. I'm not even going to go into it. You all know, but. Who knows when that's going to go away is what we always kind of say to our clients. And I don't know if you, if you listened to our previous episode um, with William Crowley, he spoke a bit about in aged care how he said, well, you know, if not now, then when? Because he also had that same feeling within his organization being a you know, aged care provider and thought, well, you know, we still also need to be out there and understanding what our clients need and what's the cost of not doing that. So, that's a good example if you want to hear a, a real life example of someone who sort of said that, no, we are busy, but we're always going to be. So how do we build this in? Yeah, that's right. Are you looking for innovative ways for your organisation to deliver more impact? Take our online assessment and receive a customised report in your inbox that highlights exactly what to do next. It takes only five minutes to fill out and it's completely free. Visit Impacto Consulting .com.au/self-assessment. We do an exercise with our clients called the cost of inaction, and I'll try and create a visual for you on this podcast so that you can kind of picture it in your head. But if you kind of imagine a table with a number of different columns and two rows, the first row would be the cost of inaction for your clients. And the second one is what's the cost to your organization? And then those columns are different time periods. So the first one might be one year from now. Next one might be three years. The other one might be five plus years. Go through that as a team and fill that out and talk about if we are to not start taking this seriously and involving our clients and collaborating with them and bringing the voice of lived experience into our organization and we continue to head in the path that we're going right now, where might we see ourselves in the future? Now, we've done this exercise a lot of times and I'm going to tell you right now, when you start looking at some of those client and organizational impacts 
in the next three plus years, it starts to get a little bit grim and it gets a little bit scary. We've had a lot of organizations do this and some pretty well-known ones too. They're not just talking about small not-for-profits here. We're talking about some pretty decent-sized organizations who provide very essential services. Some of those outcomes for the organization are we may not be around. We may lose access to X funding for their clients. These people might be back where they were before they started using our services. Like, There's a lot of stuff that comes through that. That's a very, very powerful exercise that we'd recommend to do with people if they're a little bit like, oh, well, you know, we'll get to this someday because there is an impact of not doing anything. I think we've done a whole episode on this, actually. If you do want (laughs) to go down that whole rabbit hole, there is an episode, I think, because what is the cost of inaction or something like that. But there is always an impact of not doing something now, but it's sometimes easier for us to believe that by doing uh, nothing, there's no risk. So one thing you can do is if you are hearing that sort of thing of, no, nah, we'll, we'll do it one day, we'll do it one day, doing that exercise with people might be that little bit of a jolt that they need to think about, well, there is a cost by making that decision. Do we actually want to take that on? When we're talking about the cost of that decision, that can present itself in a real cost in terms of what we're seeing now is funders are really looking for evidence of co-design. You know, when, when they're talking about funding for new programs, they don't, you know, they want to make sure that people with lived experience are included in the way that any new initiatives are designed um, because they're really confident and comfortable that that's going to lead to better outcomes. But also there's a lot more around uh, impact that's been looked for in terms of, uh, of funding. So rather than, you know, funding being based on activity um, and activity-based funding, it's really sort of look, looking at moving towards impact. So what is the change that you're creating um, and what are the things that you need to be able to do to be confident that you really are having the impact that you're out to make for the people that you support? So as the world is moving more and more towards that being included in funding requirements is that need for your organization to start working in this way so that you can build up your capability so that you know when it becomes and and we're very confident that that's you know what it's working what what it's coming to is that as funding moves more and more in this direction your organization will keep pace with those changes and the capability of the people who work in your organization will be already developed in line with the the changes that we see are already starting to happen with funding. Yeah, I mean, if you just even think about it from a you know, really practical sense here that someone comes to you with an idea and they've got evidence as to why that's going to work because it's been it's had everybody involved in it and you, and you can already sort of tick it off to say, look, we know everybody's on board because everybody made this together. <laughs> it's very compelling as well. You're probably also going to have a better chance, even without that trend, you're going to have a better chance of getting people to support your organization's cause because you know, you've, you've used some evidence. People like evidence. It makes us feel like it's real, like we can place our trust into that because uh, there's evidence that it suggests that it's going to be good rather than, oh, we think this is the right thing or we hope that this is the right thing to do or you know, from our organization's perspective, we want to keep doing this, those sorts of ways of pitching. The other one that I'll probably add on top of this as well is when you are being told that now is not the right time, asking people in the organization, well, when is that right time? And this sort of goes back to what I mentioned before about William's episode we did last week. 
So he had to ask, like, when is the right time? Because we're always under the pump. And he had to make that decision with his team to go, look, we're always going to be busy, but what can we afford to do right now? Let's do that. Let's get started. Let's start moving. Because yes, there might be times in the future where it's going to be better, but he's seeing the cost to his organization around doing nothing now is only going to continue to keep them where they are. And, you know, he wants them to move forward. So that's another way you could do it. Just ask people, well, when is that right time then? Um, because, yeah, if that's several years from now or something like that, then, you know, you can then go back to some of those costs of inaction and say, well, can we really afford to wait that long or should we just work out a way to do something now? That old saying, pace over perfection. So it's about, you know, rather than waiting for the perfect time, let's start moving in that direction and know that, that you know, we'll pick up momentum as we go as well. And the last one is that whole, we don't want to look like we don't know what we're doing. It's that risk of, well, if we're, you know, if we're co-designing with other people, are they going to think that we don't know how to do this ourselves? Yeah. We've heard all sorts of organizations say this sort of thing. Oh, yeah, we've recommended this on projects that weren't necessarily a co-design project sometimes. We may be working with them on a strategy or something and we've suggested people go out there and speak to their clients as part of that and they go, oh, well... I don't know about that. What if, you know, these people rely on us for these services? What if they don't think we know what we're doing? And what do we say, Trace? What do we normally say? What works in this particular one? What works is just remembering that clients love to be involved and they love to be able to share their thoughts and opinions and they really value being able to shape the way that services that they use and need are provided. There's something really powerful about having your voice be heard and being able to make an impact in that way. We all get that because we're on board with that way of thinking. But what if somebody's not on board with thinking this way? What other ways could we get them on board so that they can be like, okay, well, it's not actually a risk? Again, that's about sometimes actually setting it up so that the environment is a, a safe environment. So, you know, maybe you don't put it in the local newspaper that that's what you're doing. Actually speak to people on a smaller scale and then build it out as you, as you build out your confidence and you become more comfortable having those conversations. Start with people that you already have an existing relationship with, you know, because they already know that you're capable and that the services that, that you offer are good and have high quality but you can start getting them to give you feedback and as you become more comfortable and uh, with asking for feedback and having those conversations and you build your skill then you can expand it out further from there yeah absolutely this is one of those things where it's all about your execution where this is done really well is when organizations talk to people about hey like we have been providing this for some time we do this this and this but what we really want to make sure is that what we're doing is having the right impact on the people like you. And we're looking to get your ideas. We're looking to get your input. We, we want to involve you in this to help us make this better for you. If you put it in that right way, I've never seen someone stand up and go like, hey, shouldn't you guys know what you're doing? I've never seen it. It doesn't mean it can't happen, but I reckon it's pretty slim considering how many projects we've been involved in. So it is all about the frame up. It is all about helping people understand that 
uh, you know, what you're doing here is learning and there's a good reason you want to learn and that's because of your purpose and your purpose is to provide the best support you can to the people that your organization exists to support. Um, and I can tell you right now, almost every single person that's not standing up, you know, going, oh, what is this? Why are you saying this? They're actually saying, hey, that's awesome that you're doing that. In some cases where people have felt that they haven't been listened to in the past, you may actually win over a whole heap of new people and gain a whole heap of respect. We've seen that happen in certain times where people go, I can't believe you're now doing this. This is amazing. And in other cases where you're already doing a pretty good job, people usually just say, hey, this is awesome and it was so fun to be a part of it. Like, I'm, I'm so glad that you've taken the time out to, to ask me. I feel very valued being a client of yours or or a part of the community that you serve. So it is almost every single time a positive thing. But like I said, there are it does come down to execution. There probably are ways that if you don't frame it up properly that you may confuse people. People may think you may have different intentions if you don't frame it up properly. So it is really important to get that right and that'll look different based on the project. But I really think if I was to give you one tip there, it's really about helping them understand that you're here to learn as an organization, you're here to include and be inclusive um, and that you just be really vulnerable and human about it and say, we don't know all the answers, hence why we've got you here and we want to do even more of this engagement in the future because um, we know that this is the way to work and this is the way we're going to be able to support you best. So, Yeah, because I think that's the thing, isn't it? Like, yes, you might know a lot about your speciality, but nobody knows more about your clients' lives than they do. Nobody knows more about what it is that they need. Nobody knows more about what they're dealing with. Nobody knows more about them than they do. So you are deferring to an expert in that the people that you are co-designing with are the experts in their own lives. Yeah, absolutely. There you have it. There's the top three objections that we have been hearing uh, from people that are trying to get co-design stood up in their organization and to do more of it and a couple of rebuttals and different approaches that you can take that if you are coming up against some of these objections that you can keep moving that organization forward to build these collaborative uh, and innovative and impactful organizations that we're all trying to build trace pleasure as always thanks everybody for listening in and we'll catch you all on the next episode Excellent. Thank you. Thanks for listening to another episode of the Innovate for Impact podcast. Any links to what we spoke about today will be posted in the show notes. If you'd like to know more about social innovation, visit our website where we have a heap of tools to help you on your way. Visit impactoconsulting.com.au. Thanks for listening. Now go out there and make an impact.